0: But they, that is the Jewish religious authorities, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. From that point on, they are taking counsel together as what they'll do with this upstart uh, that has come on the scene and is, if you will, put it in maybe an unsanctified way stealing their thunder that's the context in which everything from verse 12 on uh, flows and in particular as we look at these verses in uh, verses 12 uh, through 16 remember that context the ire of the authorities towards Jesus uh, whom he's threatening Verse 12, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew. And Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who was called the Zealot and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. In the context of verse 11 the fury of the leaders of Israel Jesus laid the foundation of the new Israel his church when he appointed these 12 men to be the leaders he called them and appointed them to be his apostles and entrusted its leadership the leadership of this new church to them remember Paul wrote to the Ephesians that the foundation of the church is the Apostles and the Prophets, the chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ Himself. Now, I warn you, this is going to be a Calvinistic sermon. That simply means it's going to have five points. (laughs) And those five points, hopefully, will come together to underscore to you that that our officers being installed here today, ordained and installed here today, have much in common with those first church leaders whom Jesus called and appointed on this day two millennia ago. First, let's pray. O God, the Spirit, come. Come and enable the preaching. Come and open our ears and our minds and our hearts. Come and show us Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So five points. First point. Godly leaders are answers to prayer. Jesus prayed. Luke regularly remarks on Jesus' prayer life his praying but choosing the leaders of this nascent church was important business and so he didn't simply pray on the mountain, and he prayed all night and this is the one place where Luke records to my knowledge his praying throughout the entire night it reads he prayed all night, he continued in prayer to God Literally, he continued in the prayer of God. And someone has written of that, he spoke to God not for the sake of talking to God, but to listen. But to listen. Lord God, my Father, show me which of these men, who of these men will head the new Israel? When he prayed, he showed us how to approach this whole business of, of selecting our leaders. First you pray. Before you do anything, you pray and you pray you just bathe the whole process in prayer. And so you prayed. You men who have been elected and are going to be Ordained and or installed this morning you prayed, didn't you? If you didn't, God help you. It's a terrible thing for people to come and ask you, would you, would you Can I put your name in the nomination for elder or deacon? It's a humbling thing. It will drive you to your knees if you have any sense whatsoever of, of what they're talking about. Lord, could it be that you're calling me? This is you're calling me to to this work in the church, whatever that work may be? Lord, am I gifted? Do I have the requisite gifts to do this work? Do I do I have the required time? I have a family, I have work. Am I at a stage in my life, at a point where I can accomplish this? And still maintain the Christian witness I need at home and at work and in the world. You prayed. I know you prayed. You can't help but pray when you're faced with this sort of a decision. Lord, am I right? Am i the right guy for this. But everyone else was praying at the same time. You prayed, should I, should I nominate someone? I know this man. Should I nominate him? He seems to have the gifts. He's got shortcomings. Do the shortcomings outweigh the gifts and the abilities? Does he have the time? Am I doing him a favor or a disfavor? You prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed about whom you should know nominate about their suitability about the election hopefully you prayed about this day and what's taking place today and God answered he answered his son he answers his church he answered and these men that we're going to ordain and install this morning are the answer to prayer and you remember that they're the answer To your prayer. Or, God forbid, they're the answer to your failure to pray. Second, godly leaders are chosen by Jesus, the head of His church. He chose the 12 apostles directly. He prayed all night, gathered them together, called a decision, and called the disciples together and said, You and you and you and you and you and you 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 and you and you I want you. You are my apostles. And I'm going to train you. You're going to live with me. You're going to walk with me. You're going to hear me. You're going to see me. You're going to watch me. You're going to do the things I ask you to do and send you out to do. You're going to learn from me and I am going to entrust to you the leadership of this church that we're building together. In the case of our leaders, he did the same thing. He just did it through process. Not only did you and they pray, You made decisions. You made choices. You nominated, you elected, you agreed to stand for ordination and election, and today these men will be ordained and installed and or installed as your officers, elders, and deacons in this church. All as Jesus has led each of you, affirming everything at each step of the way. Here's something for every one of us in this room to remember. Don't you ever forget this, and you'll be tempted to at some point. Jesus had picked these men to lead and to serve his church at South Baton Rouge. Number three. Godly leaders aren't necessarily homogeneous. The twelve apostles weren't. I mean, they are they were a motley group. Somebody said, they just take them all over. There were four that we know were fishermen. I've described them before. How do you picture Peter, Andrew, James John, we have this sort of sanctified view. We see these holy men, they wore robes, did they not? And they had sandals. You pictured them, you know how they did. And so we, we, we sanctify them sort of this way, and we lose sight of who they were. Better to think of them in the contemporary in the contemporary times hmm? they wore. Denim cutoff shorts, faded promotion, even more faded baseball cap, and what else? Cajun Lee box. <laughs> those white rubber boots <coughs> that are ubiquitous across the coast of southern Louisiana. That's Peter. That's Andrew. That's those men. Common people. They were fishermen. Crabbers, shrimpers, oystermen. Just folks. Don't elevate them too high. Don't, don't, don't lose sight of who they were. And then there's Matthew. A tax collector. Not sure what the other seven did. But I'm sure it was representative of their community. Then you had Matthew again. Matthew Levi is a tax collector working for Rome. Which made him something of an outcast among the religious Jews, or all the Jews. He was looked on as a traitor. Looked down on. And over across from him there's Simon the Zealot. Who was steadfastly opposed to anything and everything Roman. They're on the same team. It's hard to imagine a civil word passing between the two of them. But they're picked for the same team by no one less than Jesus. They're representative of their community, the community of the saints there in the church in Jerusalem, in, in Uh, Galilee. It's not much different with our leaders. They're certainly not uniform. Uh, They come in different sizes, different ages, different personalities, different educations. They're different. I doubt they're going to be in unanimity on everything. Maybe. Not on anything. But they have one thing in common. Jesus Christ. Like eleven of the twelve. They're one in him. That's where their unity lies. That's where their strength lies. And the good thing is I can look you in the eye and say, I am certain that every one of these men you elected is sold out to Jesus Christ. Four. Godly leaders carry heavy responsibilities. Go back to the twelve. All they had to do, this is the only thing Jesus gave them to accomplish. All they had to do was to establish the Christian church by bringing the gospel to the entirety of the whole world. (laughs) And they only had to do it while they were being persecuted by the other Jews in Palestine, by the Gentiles elsewhere and by the Roman authorities everywhere. That's all. That's all. Which is to say that these men whom you've elected will deal with weighty issues. Many most you'll never be aware of by God's grace. Which leads me to speak to a very select group wives of these men the rest of you can listen the wives of these men if you're someone who must know what's going on what's happening what your husband is involved in if you've got to if if it'll just drive you crazy if you don't you don't let him get out of that seat when they come down here to be ordained and installed. You tell him he cannot be an elder or a deacon at this point in the church. And I'm serious as death. Men, if that's your wife, and you know that, you stay in your seat. You stay right where you are. Elders will be dealing with deep, deep things. Not every day. Not all the time. But enough. Deep spiritual moral, ethical matters. Personal issues their own and other people's. Family issues. Marriage issues. Sin issues. Issues of all manner. Plus they've got to deal with their own sin as well as yours. Deacons will be dealing with no less serious things especially as they go about the business of carrying on the mercy ministry of this church. Dealing with deep often painful things in the lives of the people that that will affect our deacons. It gets in your head. It gets in your soul. You carry some of these people around and you see the fruit sometimes in doing mercy ministry. You see the ugly fruit of sin. It hurts. It hurts. They will be making decisions, every deacon's life, that are weighty, that are difficult, sometimes terrible. When they come home from meetings, wives, don't ask them how it went. Don't ask them what they dealt with? They can't tell you anyway. Most of it. And you may witness something. If they come home and disappear, they come home and lock themselves away. They come home and go for a long, lonely walk by themselves. You understand that that they may be decompressing They may be praying, they may be confessing, they may be wrestling, they may be weeping, they may be doing all of those things at the same time. That's the life of an officer in the church. It's not the entirety of the life. It's not the entirety of life. But they carry heavy, heavy responsibility and burden. About 15 or 16 years ago, South Baton Rouge was not yet a church. They were meeting, worshiping, but, but, but as a mission. They were in the process of becoming a church, and they were beginning that process. Of, and, and of course, in order to be a church, you have to have elders have in the Presbyterian system. And so they were about to train the first batch of elders. And I can't remember if those people were nominated or if it was just a invitation to all the men in the church to come go through the training and then to be nominated. I, I can't remember the whole thing. All I know is I wasn't here. But I got a phone call. And they said, wait, would you come and would you do the introductory session, uh, you know, meeting uh, for those who are going through training to be elders in the church? So I'd be honored. And I was. And I came. I entered into a room. And, and it was over at, at uh, the piano place over there, in that room on the side in front. And I walked in, and there's a room full of men. And uh, I was duly really introduced. And I stood up. I don't remember exactly what I said. But it was, it was in the nature of men. Being an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ is the worst job on this green earth. I didn't say it that way. I'm told I said it far more colloquially. And I proceeded, apparently, to enumerate all the ways in which this was the worst job on earth. The next week when they held the second session, I'm told a third of the men didn't show up ever again. I've never, to this day, I've never been asked to take part in a beacon training. Josh let me one time. He couldn't be here. He said, "Would you just leave this beacon session?" If I could don't let it of me. You know, just a couple of stuff in the lesson. Background to that is this: the night I was in there. It was the night after we had dealt, finished dealing with a session in my church. We'd been dealing with a discipline case for six months. We had finished it the night before. And I was ready to quit. It was just, it just gets to be that draining. And, and, and I walked in that room and I looked at these guys and I said, you yeah, know, they don't have a clue what they're about to get into. And I just let it hang loose. One wise, maybe it was wise, I don't know. But, but uh, anyway, it's not all bad. There are wonderful things about being an elder. Baptisms are a wonderful time in the life of the church and for the elders. Uh, bringing in new members. Hearing their stories. And everybody's got a story and hearing about their relationship with Jesus, their walk with the Lord, hearing the professions of faith of young people is the most glorious thing that ever, ever does. I think. Watching the old saints die well—we don't get to do much of that here at South Baton Rouge because of our median age. But we have had one. And there have been elders that have gone and brought her communion before she went to be with the Lord. And, And to sit there and two of us sat there and spoke to her about her funeral. And how she wanted the gospel had to be preached. Jesus had to be elevated and she couldn't be spoken of. And there are beautiful and wonderful white spots but they're accompanied by this weight and you ask any man who's been an elder for any length of time and they'll tell you, you you don't lose it it's with you now that I've depressed you point number five Godly leaders aren't perfect make a note of that they're not Jesus how can they be perfect they're just like you you picked them from among yourselves. They're imperfect men. Look at the 12 apostles. Jesus, you, <coughs> you, 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 and you. Handpicked them after a night of praying to the Father and listening to the Father. One denied him three times in one night. One sold him out, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And every one of them deserted him in his blackest, darkest hour. He's hand-picked 12 men to whom Jesus would leave the responsibility for the church of Jesus Christ. I knew officers aren't perfect either. How do I know that? And then I ask their children. And from that, I want to make three charges. First to everybody in the room. Don't expect them to be perfect. You're not perfect we won't be perfect to your glory, nor will they. Don't hold them to an impossible standard. And then a charge to you men who will be ordained and or installed this morning. Two charges. First, don't think too highly of yourselves. Sometimes it's easy to do that. To lose sight of who you are. Well, the people elected me. God chose me. I'm a leader in the church, an elder, a deacon. Remember those 12 apostles. Remember that first Passover. And Jesus looked at them and said, This very night, one of you will betray me. Do you remember what followed that? To a man. To a man. <coughs> Is it I They knew. They knew what they were capable of. And you stay aware of what you may be capable of. Don't think too highly of yourself. On the other hand, don't think too lowly of yourself. Again, remember those twelve apostles. You know why we're here this morning? It's because of those imperfect men. If they hadn't carried on the program that Jesus left them, if they hadn't carried the gospel out into the world, we wouldn't be here. God uses imperfect people to do his perfect work, to accomplish his perfect ends. All of which brings me right back to where we started. Godly leaders aren't simply chosen through prayer. They're sustained by prayer. Theirs, ours, it's a necessity. You've prayed. Don't stop. Don't stop. The work is just beginning.